The reason that we would sing a song like that here in church is because the reality of that song is the reality of many families that are here in our church today. And church should be the first place that we can be honest with ourselves and with each other and with God about our struggles. All of us can relate to the experience of having a picture that looks great, but when you look at it, you know the backstory, right? Your kid's one-year-old birthday studio portrait that they captured at just the right time, but when you look at it, you know there's 25 minutes of sheer agony before that with screaming and the stuffed animal is where it is because otherwise he kept leaning over and falling down and you get all that. I've contributed to that myself. I've been at numerous family gatherings where we've been together all day and it's late and everybody's tired and bad attitudes are creeping up and that's just the adults. And then the kids are there and some well-meaning grandparent will say, hey, let's get a picture together before we all leave. And we'll get a picture and then it's one more, one more. And I've looked at my kids when they've looked at me not thrilled about being in a photo, and I've said, just fake it. Smile so grandma can get her picture and we can get out of here. <laughs> and it's fine when it's something like that, but when it's characterizing the reality of our families, it's not okay. And so today we're here to talk about the reality of what's happening in families today. The majority of my research for this has come not from hours and hours online or in the library. It's come from working with families for the past 23 years, specifically with your families for the last nine. So basically what I'm just going to do is tell you all what's going on in each other's homes right now, okay? I'm going to start alphabetically. When I call your name, <laughs> please stand. Here's what's happening in families today. First of all, it's hard to even nail down what does the word family even mean. If you do just a brief search online for the definition of family, you will find all kinds of things. You'll come across all kinds of articles about the new definition of new families because families can mean a lot of different things. It can describe a lot of different groups of people, okay? We've got, you know, cohabitating families where nobody's married, but there's a group of people that are living together and raising children. Um, we've got a lot of group home, foster home, adoptive families these days. We've got families that are led by grandparents, families that are led by single parents. We've got blended families. We've got gay and lesbian families. We've got traditional families, which by the way, if you are a heterosexual married man, woman with biological children in your home, as of a few years ago, that type of family now represents less than 50% of the families in our country. And so just when you say the word family, it brings up all kinds of different meanings of different groups of people. Some people use the word family to refer to people that they're not related to, perhaps not even living with. That's my, that's my they're not my biological, but that's my family. When I think about my family, these are the people that I think of. And in some ways that's a little bit sad, but in some ways it's encouraging because it shows that somewhere out there there's a positive connotation to the word. People understand this is what family should be. This is what family can be. And when I think about family, that's what I wish for. That's what I want to have happen. 
there are some positive things happening in families, and specifically when I look at what's happening in our church community at all of our campuses, some of the positive things I see are families getting outside of their own four walls and serving, taking an interest in what's happening in other people around them. And that shows up whether it's serving in a ministry together or a second Saturday or bringing kids into your home together to care for them. I see a lot of families now and a lot of parents intentionally saying to their kids, hey, our lives are going to be about more than just us, which is awesome. Some negative things that we see happening in families, not just in culture, certainly in culture, but then also even within our church community, is a lack of time. Families are crazy busy. And I'm going to assume that when I give you a few of these negative things that are going on, none of them are going to come as a shock to you because you're either experiencing it yourself or you know a lot of families around you that are experiencing it. And you can have too much of a good thing. So even if all of the activities and things that are taking up your time are good things, if it's just too much, too much, too much, and your family is running at a crazy pace, that is not healthy. And so we need to watch that. There's a lack of engagement sometimes. Kids can be not engaged in their family because they've got so much going on, and particularly as they get older and they get more freedom and are able to get out and about on their own. There can be a lack of engagement that way. Parents, we can certainly not be as engaged as we should be with our careers or our hobbies or pursuits or other interests. And you can be uh, less engaged than you should be and still be living in the same house. I'm not even talking about if there's separation or divorce and somebody's not in the lives of their kids. Obviously, that's a concern. But you can have a lack of engagement and all live under the same roof. I was at a seminar not too long ago that was actually led by Jim Burns, who's going to be here next week. And someone that was presenting in that seminar said that one of the leading causes of anger, irritability in kids is a perceived inaccessibility to their parents, to one of their parents. So if just one parent in the household, if the child perceives them as not being as accessible as they need them, it can lead to anger and irritability in your home. There's sometimes a lack of healthy expectations in families. Sometimes parents go into this thing of having kids or bringing kids into their home and think, man, once we have a child or multiple children, it's just going to bring everything together for us. And whatever's lacking in our lives, that's going to fulfill it. Or whatever's lacking in me personally, they're going to fulfill it. And we have this unhealthy expectation and if you think you're going to bring kids in, they're just going to kind of be a trophy and it's going to bring complete fulfillment to you, you are mistaken. And so let's not look to our kids to provide what we should be receiving from our identity in Christ, not our identity as parents. There can sometimes be a lack of tenacity, a lack of perseverance when it comes to parents. Parenting is hard Parenting is a constant, ongoing effort. I remember once my family and my kids were very, very young. We went on vacation. And my wife and I were um, discussing care for our son while we were there on vacation. And she was a stay-at-home mom at the time. And I made some kind of remark about, hey, we're on vacation. You brought your work with you. I didn't. Um, I know, it wasn't the best thing to say. 
But that's the reality. When you're a parent, there's never a vacation from that. There's never a day off. And sometimes when things get hard, parents kind of throw their hands up and they're like, hey, I've done all I can do. I'm going to get them to church once or twice a week, maybe, once in a while. You guys do what you can with them. I'm done. Parents, we've got to stick in there and we've got to continue the fight. I want to share a Bible verse with you from the book of Micah. And we're going to put it up here and I'm going to read it for you. Do not trust a neighbor. Put no confidence in a friend. Even with the woman who lies in your embrace, guard the words of your lips. For a son dishonors his father. A daughter rises up against her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the members of his own household. This was written late in the 8th century B.C. So problems and struggles and issues with families is not just something that's trending now. So why is this thing of life in a family been so hard for so many for so long? It's because everything about being in a family requires selflessness. To be a good parent, to be a good spouse, to be a good sibling, to be a good child, to be effective and be God-honoring and to serve others as we should requires selflessness. And everything in us rages against that. Everything. And so for us to live out our life as a family member, whatever your role is in your family, requires us having our foundation built upon the right person and the right principles. And it is hard, but it is possible. And our kids just saying to you a very powerful truth that I hope was not lost on you by how adorable they were as they were singing it. If God is for you, which he is, then who can stand against you in something where you are trying to pursue his will? And so we have a great living example of God's power showing up in a particular family that I want you to hear about right now. I was born in Rhode Island. The year was 1981. It was my mom, pop, and sis, so that made me the only son. A blended family whose dirty laundry was never done. Grace was often left hung out to dry. No pun. My dad worked two to three jobs to keep food on the table, so only got to see my hero whenever he was able. Ma stayed home, but a real connection was debatable, because it felt like love had to be earned. It felt unattainable. Sis was six years older, and so naturally she was the boss. Because my dad wasn't hers, they fought like cats and dogs. A house visit by the cops confirmed I was living in a fog, like trying to catch a breath of fresh air in a city of smog. Around 12, though, things were looking up when Dad found stable work. My fan was evening out a bit, yet to another perk. But then August 16, 1993, life went berserk when Mom's shrieking scream out of my sleep made me jerk. It was hard to digest it. It all happened so quick, and I realized at 12, your dad is young when he dies at 46. And what I thought was becoming a house of bricks was just a mirage when it crumbled like a house of sticks. Ma quickly remarried when my stepdad convinced her he knew Christ. And while that may have been true, he lived a double life. And the bondage of booze and drugs created a lot of strife. It was open heart surgery 
when all I'd known went under the knife. So into the depths within I would hide where no one could seek me out, and the quiet tears I would shed also served as my shout. And I asked God the question, is this what life is all about? Because if these are the answers I should expect, then I want it out. Now, friends, what came next was a storm of darkened days when in college I followed my own compass instead of his ways and I couldn't find my way out of what became an entangled maze. But God never quivered, never wavered. His plan was unfazed. When on one summer's day he called to me, have you had enough? Remember the taste of real life not found in the world's empty bluff? In that childhood day when your heart, you asked me to uncuff. And then I saw clearly how he had led me through all that had been tough. See, for all that my parents may not have done, they did what counted most. When as a boy, they introduced me to Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. When I made Christ the king of my heart's fortress, not just an outpost. And he saved me by grace through faith alone. I have no room to boast. See, when you make him Savior and Lord, he sets you on a path that's true. So I'm not defined by my family or the job that I do. I'm not defined by the shoulda, woulda, couldas, or even ought tos. And I'm not defined by my broken past. And friend, neither are you. Well, it's probably time I bring this all to a conclusion. Yet you must know it hasn't all been cuts and contusions. But I had to tell you about the pain, struggle, and confusion so that his display of his power in my life would prove no illusion. Because like the truth of creation in Genesis, he took something that's nothing and made it exist. Inspired by the master metamorphosis, he turned me open palm from a shaking fist. Because if anyone can change me, amaze me, sustain me, save me, redeem me, whose arms can contain me, make me pure, secure, and whose love can assure me, adore, and forevermore, the one who can restore me, then may our stories be the glory of he who can. Because he's Father, Creator, Son of Man. He's Alpha, Omega, call him Lion and Lamb. He's the one, he's the truth. I am that I am. Incredible, and the only thing I wrap are Christmas presents. <laughs> so that's enough of the wrappings. <laughs> I read a quote as I prepared for today that said, a dysfunctional family is a family with more than one person in it. <laughs> so if you are just that one person, you're just dysfunctional. So I come to you guys today as a parent who's in it with you as functional as I can be, trying to both protect my kids from these cultural trends and raise them to influence it. Because the paradox that we deal with when we talk about families and culture is that culture affects our families, but families affect the culture. So as we consider our response to these cultural trends that Randy laid out just a minute ago, we have to consider what it looks like from where you're standing. Whether you are standing in a family unit approaching these cultural trends from a standpoint of protecting your own family while influencing those that you encounter every day on the soccer field or the school pickup line, or you're currently not involved in a typical family life but you're aware that there are children in the very building you are sitting in today, you are able to shape this cultural trend. 
So as we look at this idea of families disintegrating, the passage of scripture that we're going to go to comes just at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has given us instructions for how to live as kingdom citizens, and he finishes with this story. It's actually a paragraph that's kind of two separate stories, and it's in Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27, if you want to pull out your Bibles and read along with me. It says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So this passage is really two kind of micro stories told in one paragraph. They're told kind of parallel to each other. So while we're going to look at repeating words and phrases, we also want to hold in contrast what's not repeated from one story into the next. So we're going to look at this as a little chart here up on the screen. You can draw this in your weekly welcome if you'd like to. But we see that we have a wise man. And the wise man hears these words. So he's hearing what Christ is saying. And he puts them into practice. We know that he built his house, that he's a builder. And that he built it on rock, on a firm foundation. We know that rain came down, streams rose, and the winds blew but we know that it did not fall. Now, in contrast to that, some of the phrases repeated, we have this foolish man who also hears these words, hearing the same thing that this wise man would hear, but he does not put them into practice. We know that he also built a house, but he built it on sand, not as firm. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, and it falls with a great crash. So because we don't want our families to fall with a great crash, we don't want them to fall apart, we see the storms and the winds of cultural trends surrounding and swirling around us on a daily basis. We need to look at how we can combat these things. And we can look at this as a sort of a continuum, where on one side, we approach this trend from the inside, changing our own families, On the other side, we work to influence it. And in the middle, we stand firmly in our faith. One foot planted firmly in our families, one foot planted firmly in the culture, seeking to change. And in order to do this, we're going to talk about first the end where we combat this cultural trend from the inside. Now, those of us who are currently directly involved in family unit or maybe you have grown children, But we're going to look at our own home and consider what we need to do to impact this cultural trend. And I would begin by saying we need wise parents. And what do wise parents do? Well, we know wisdom has been defined in this passage that wise parents hear these words and put them into practice. So looking at the context of where this story falls, we want to look back into the Sermon on the Mount. There are not a lot of great examples of parenting in the Bible, but there are amazing words that can guide you 
as you parent your kids. So Christ has just given these instructions about how we are to live as kingdom citizens. And back in May, Jameson did a message about how to live as kingdom citizens. And just to save you all pulling your notes out from that sermon back in May, I went ahead and uh, wanted to review what he said with you. He said we should live in humility, that we should live with compassion, and that we should live at peace. If we want to be wise, as Jesus outlines in the Sermon on the Mount, if we want to live as kingdom citizens, we have to hear these things and actually put them into practice in our families. As parents, this is better advice than trying to emulate the parents that we see in the pages of Scripture because this is timeless advice. These are things that we can do whether we have an infant at home or we're dealing with teenagers or even grown children and grown siblings and relationships we deal with on a daily basis. If we as a family lived in humility, understanding that each day we are entrusted with the things and the people around us, we would make choices that would put others' needs above our own. One of the cultural trends that we're seeing today in parents is they have expectations that their children would net them something, that there would be a return on investment And we know that's not always true. But if we look at this in humility, we would see that parenting a child is a gift, regardless of what they net us in the end. If we lived with compassion as families, we would walk into every situation asking God the question, what needs to be done? And if we as a society, as a culture, walked around asking that question and then acting in compassion on what God told us, we would change things. Because if we walked into a room, kids, and we saw that maybe things needed picked up, ask God what needs to be done, we would actually act on that and maybe create a little harmony in our families. If we saw families in our communities and we asked what needs to be done and saw the help that they might need, then we would act in compassion. And as kingdom citizens, we would put these words into practice. Can you imagine how that would transform our families and our communities? Finally, if we lived at peace with one another in our homes, not just avoiding problems, but actually seeking peace, not just being peacekeepers, but being peacemakers and peace pursuers, we would see the number of divorces and broken homes go down. Now, my kids will tell you one of my famous mommy lines is the relationship that you have with your siblings is the longest standing relationship you will have in your life, so take care of it. Sometimes that looks like this. That would be my boys in the get-along shirt. What we use to pursue peace in our home, and I'll tell you that usually... By the end, they actually don't want to take it off because they think it's fun. But we want them to make peace. And so we require that of them. If you want to fight, fight for the heart of your kids because that's what matters. And let them know that you will always fight for their heart. So just as we say wise parents hear these words and put them into practice, wise parents also practice because practicing takes time. And it takes practice to parent. I don't know about you, but my kids did not come with an instruction manual. And so we have to practice and work at this parenting thing. Jimmy Fallon started a a hashtag on Twitter called Parent Fail. It was trending within 30 minutes 
because I think most of us as parents will admit that we have had our fair share of failures in our lives. And so I wanted to share with you just a few of these parent fails that were tweeted to him. First one here, I forgot to fill the pinata with candy at my daughter's birthday party. <laughs> Might have been some disappointed kids there. I put sunscreen on my four kids, but one came back burnt. It turns out I lathered one kid up twice. <laughs> As a parent of four kids, I actually think I have done that before. My dad told me the ice cream truck played music when all the ice cream was gone. <laughs> I think that is a parent win. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I actually had a dad who came up after the service last night who said, I've told my kids that. It's like, sorry to out your secret, dad. But wise parents practice. I could add more parent fails of my own to this list, but they only gave me so much time. As parents, we mess up, but a wise parent will not allow that mess up to define them, but yet will see the next moment as a do-over because we're practicing this thing. It means we have an end goal in mind, something that we want to achieve, and we spend time working on it, realizing each moment matters, not just for now, but for future, for eternity. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 16, Paul writes, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. So again, just as Jesus tells us the difference between a wise and a foolish builder, Paul's saying, be careful that you don't live as someone who is unwise, but live as someone who is wise. And what he's saying here in the Greek, it actually means to redeem every moment. And it's a form of redeem that says, we're going to buy back, purchase in its entirety, every moment that we have with our kids. So if we can redeem every moment that we have with our kids, that word opportunity, every opportunity is a seasonably ripe moment. It's called a kairos moment. It's a moment that's just perfect and ripe for the taking. And I think as parents, we would agree that we have those moments every single day. Our kids are in a seasonably ripe time. For the days are evil. We live in a world of influence, where the message the world sends us, you're not good enough, work harder, be perfect, our messages from the enemy, and they seek to destroy our families, and they are abundant. You may have heard the phrase, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So instead, as a wise parent, invest your time in your kids and practicing this parenting thing. Now, wise parents will also seek wise counsel, not mommy bloggers. Um, recent statistics have shown that 14% of moms are mommy bloggers, and 89% of them have kids between the ages of 2 and 11. You'll notice that once their kids get to the preteen years, they stop writing with any authority. <laughs> now, if you are a mom who loves those Pinterest projects, and you enjoy those things, and that's what keeps you going, then of course I applaud you in that. But if you are a mom who needs to let go of Pinterest extras and say no to those things in order to say yes 
to other things and spending time with your kids, then I would encourage you to do that, to stop reading. When my son was just six weeks old, we took him to the church to be dedicated. My oldest son is now 13. And as we were driving in the car, I started to cry because I was sitting there as someone with a degree in children's ministry, and I said, I don't know how to do this. I'm about to make vows in front of God and in front of a group of people, and I'm not sure that I know how to do this parenting thing. Now, a lot of our parents, maybe you have stood up here, and you have also said these child dedication vows. This is what our parents commit to. They say, I do, too when we do child dedications here at Christ Community. And you made these commitments that you would raise your kids to know God and love God, and there are days that we fail miserably at that. Because while the saying of I do was easy right here at this moment, life and temptation to conform to society presses in on us. And we have to then make wise decisions without the support of our faith community. So let me encourage you parents, lean in and ask for help. Wise parents, listen to wise counsel. Find some parents who have kids older than yours that seem like they've done a pretty good job raising their kids. I have a couple of women that I seek out because I see their children, and beginning with the end in mind, I would like my children to end up like theirs. The best of these advisors will be the ones that admit they do not have all of the answers, but the time you spend with them will be relational time that will pay off. And for our parents of grown children, if one of our young parents approaches you about this, consider how you could help them. Consider how you might mentor and disciple them and spend time with them, helping them practice this parenting thing. Now, the other end of the spectrum of cultural influence are some intentional builders. Maybe you are not directly involved in a family unit right now, and this is where you stand. As one who could potentially impact the culture around you. So if you are aware that there are parents in this world, this is where you come in. Both of these builders today set out to build a house, but only one considered where they were placing the foundation. Building a house takes time and intentionality. And I wonder if that foolish builder just didn't take the intentional time to build, but instead built in haste. Now, the Search Institute is an organization that does studies with kids and and students all across America, and most recently they've been studying families. If you work in any way with kids, I would encourage you to check out um, their 40 developmental assets for kids in different ages and stages. But if you're a parent, I would encourage you to look at what they have found about family life. They've come up with a list of assets for family. These are criteria they've found through research will contribute to a solid family life. And the least common asset that they found was close relationships with others in the community. Guess what that means for us as a church? It means that we hold a key in the development of kids and families in this community. For kids, the asset is listed as support from three or more non-parent adults. So just as parents need to seek wise counsel, we as a faith community need to step up and help create these relationships that will create healthy kids and families. 
in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9, Moses is addressing the nation of Israel. He's addressing them with the commands and decrees and laws that the Lord has directed him to teach them. And he says this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now you'll notice he does not say here, here, O parents of three-year-olds. He doesn't say here, O grandparents. He says here, O Israel, the entire nation an entire faith community of people who are being held responsible for impressing these things upon their children. And how will these kids know these things if we don't teach them and tell them? A couple of times a year, we dedicate children here at Christ Community, as I mentioned before. And if you've been in one of those services, you have said, I will, to these vows. Read over those. And I would ask, how are you doing on this? And not only how are you doing on this for the families that have stood up here on this platform, but how are you doing with this in relationship to families in your community? As we encourage families to redeem moments, how are you helping them with that? Now in the community, this could look like an encouraging word for a mom who is at the end of her rope a childhood friend of mine is a single mom with four kids, and the youngest is a four-year-old boy with autism. And about a month ago, she put this story on Facebook, and I asked her if I could share it with you today, and she said, of course. She said, about a month ago, when I took the crew out for dinner, Bo was in meltdown mode a minute after we ordered. An awesome lady who I didn't know but said she was the mom of five asked, how can I help? Your other kids are welcome to sit by us, or I have snacks in my bag if that would help your little guy. Ours wasn't at the table yet, so that was a huge offer. I thanked her with tears and said, I'm sure they could make it to go. She got up as we were leaving and gave me a hug and whispered, you're doing great. Encouraging a parent and giving them hope and joy in relationship to their kids is like reaching into their very soul. Every parent wants to hear that they're doing a good, a good job. And we don't hear it often enough. What's rewarded is repeated. So let's be encouraging people. Let's be hope givers and joy sloshers to the parents around us. You never know who you're encouraging. There are moments that I stand in the back of the theater in Kids World and I just consider who we have in this room today. Future doctors, researchers, missionaries, pastors, politicians, all right here in our midst, and we have the opportunity to be intentional builders in their lives. And a great way to be intentional right here in our, in our own community is to serve with our kids. 
This is one way that we have those significant non-parent adults in our kids' lives. And also as parents, this is a great way to know what your kids are learning and to redeem moments by engaging in faith conversations at home. Our parents who serve in Kids World and Genesis and Mosaic are able to specifically start the conversations with their kids at home that have been prompted in these ministries. And in my own family with myself involved in Kids World and my husband as a Genesis leader, We're able to be those influential adults in other people's kids' lives while also being intentionally involved in our own kids' lives. We know what they're learning here at church, and we can flip the conversation and be the primary spiritual nurturers of our kids' faith because we can begin those conversations at home. And because I believe so strongly in this, I want to give you the opportunity right now to step up and be an intentional builder If you're ready to be an intentional builder of our families, take a minute right now. You can pull out your mobile device, and I have both my email and a text number there. You can text serve, what campus, and please also, if you want students or kids so that we can get you plugged in and directed to the right person, we will train you and equip you, and even if working directly with a group of kids does not sound like your idea of a fun time, we also need people who can check kids in every week, who can be that smiling face and that encouraging person to families as they walk in every week into our ministries. Now, this house right here has been in the news lately. It's a beautiful home. It's probably worth at least a million dollars, perfect lake view, set right on the bluff, overlooking the lake. But from the other side, we see a different story. This house was likely not planned well. It was not put on a firm foundation, and the ground below it is literally disintegrating, and this house has begun to fall into the lake. In fact, as they began to make plans about how to safely remove this house from the property, they actually decided to see what an impending storm would do, ne- would do first. And then once the natural damage was done, they torched the house and the owners had to pay to have it all removed. And the quote that they said was, we never really saw it coming. We didn't think it was going to happen that way. Now, is that the way with our families. This reminded me of this builder in our passage. I wonder if this builder thought, you know what, I will be fine building on sand. But the fact is, had he dug just a little deeper, he would have set his home on a solid rock, and therefore it would have been able to withstand the storms that come. In our culture, our families will be bombarded with conflicting priorities. Wise parents will choose to set their lives, their families, on a firm foundation. If you build your lives on stuff, on your career, on your activities, on your home, when these things crumble, your life will crumble. But if you've set your foundation on a solid rock of obedience to God's word and a commitment to stand in faith, you will stand firm. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 8, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Do you feel hard-pressed on every side in your family life? Maybe perplexed by some of the things that are happening, some of these cultural trends? The good news that we is that we are not in despair. 
We are not abandoned, and we are not destroyed. There has never been a day in my parenting journey that I have regretted our decision to parent from a position of faith in Christ and in obedience to God's word. Because we have encountered days when finances seemed grim, when communication wasn't clear, and when six sinners living under one roof seemed to be too many. But knowing that we could listen and trust and obey and have hope eternal has made all the difference. And let me tell you, if your house is not there right now, it is not too late to move your house. Dads, if you go home today and for the first time you pray with your kids at bedtime, they will remember this day. If you go home and as a family you make a choice to sit down and examine your priorities and decide what you're going to say no to in order to say yes to other things, your family will remember this day. And I know this from personal experience. Growing up, my family looked perfect from the outside. It looked like that house on the bluff. We had success. My dad worked hard. But ultimately, because we did not have a firm foundation of faith, our family disintegrated. Divorce, frustration, conflict, and hurt entered. But I will never forget the day six years ago when I walked my mom into the waters of baptism. And she publicly proclaimed her faith in Christ, and she now grandparents from a place of faith. And that will change generations to come. I will also never forget excuse me, July 14th, just 13 days ago, when my dad prayed to put his faith in Christ at age 66, and then he died six days later. I had counted my dad out. I thought that though he had heard God's word, he would never humble himself to put his faith in Jesus. But because of his decision to commit to Christ, his story will be told. He put his feet on a firm foundation at that moment, and generations to come will have a legacy of faith. Family brokenness will not thwart God's plan if we are open to transformation. At this point in kids' world, we would go to a time of what we call worship and response. When our kids consider what the Holy Spirit is calling them to do and telling them to do through God's word. So as we go to offering, we're going to offer our financial gifts in affirmation of what God's doing. We're also going to offer our worship in song. But I also would challenge you to consider your response to this cultural trend of families that are disintegrating. Consider what God is calling you to do in response and write it down in your notes so that you have a physical reminder of that call and offer that response to God today. And then as people who are pursuing wisdom and intentionality and a solid foundation, do that thing that you're committing to. Maybe this is the day that you put your feet on a firm foundation. Maybe this is the day that you choose wisdom. Maybe this is the day that you find a way to be intentional with families and our communities. So let's pray together. God, we offer our financial gifts right now, but we also offer our very lives and our response to what you are doing 
within our families and within our culture. God, thank you that our family brokenness will not thwart your plans. And God, right now, as we offer these things, as we give our gifts, God, we just thank you and we're grateful for what you're doing in and through us as a faith community and in and through our families. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.